Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are here in an isolated, dramatic landscape called the Milford Sound. And the Milford Sound is located on New Zealand's South Island's west coast. It is a very rainy day today. This place gets more rain than the Amazon rainforest. I believe last year they got 9.2 meters of rain. And uh, this year we've already received a meter of rain. So because it's a rainy day and I have the skipper in front of me and he has some time to record, we're going to try to record the first segment of the interview with Adam Kalia. Adam is from a small sea town called Fidianga in the Coromandel Peninsula on the North Island of New Zealand. Born and raised on the ocean with salt water running through his veins, Adam learned to swim before he learned to walk. Adam is a skipper and guide here in the Milford Sound, and he's guiding on the Tasman Sea and the Fjord for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. This said, being so far away from world-world luxuries, he and his friends have decided to brew their own fun, and this is in the form of beer. Every year around this time, there is a Wild Foods and Brews Festival, which is a charity event showcasing a gathering of the community's talents and locals' home brewing, hunting and gathering wild foods from the sea and the land. Well, first of all, Adam, thank you so much for joining me here on the Trail Less Traveled to do this interview. Yeah, you're welcome. No worries. Adam, my first question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Growing up in Fidianga, I come from an awesome background of family that have just managed to always be living and working around the sea or orientated with the sea. My parents, for starters, they own a diving and fishing store back home. And I've always worked at that shop over the summers, but every weekend, you know, every Sunday, because we'd always have that off, we would be diving and fishing, snorkeling. My dad would be teaching me how to scuba dive. My brothers would be teaching me how to fish. And uh, from there, also my uncles, they uh, own charter boat businesses. My grandfather's owned a charter boat business. And also another grand uncle was fisherman catching crayfish so it's always just been part of our lives you know with the salt running through the veins the gills behind the ears the web toes and I've always found this love for it but it didn't really truly hone into me until I went to university and studied outdoor recreation and there I kind of got a bit more of a philosophy behind it you know and now knowing that it streams from back home but kind of honing it to something I could do with my own life and and it's just turned into guiding where I can just every day meet new people and share my passion for the ocean and the sea and they can develop that too. Adam, I want to ask you about Fithianga and where you grew up because maybe the listeners aren't familiar with New Zealand and maybe people know that there are two islands involved, but can you tell us a little bit more about where you grew up? Paint the picture, the sights, the sounds, the smells and the ocean. Where I live is probably one of the most spectacular places in New Zealand. Well, everybody's pretty biased when they talk about their own hometown, but everyone I mention to where I come from, they're like, yeah, this is the place that is incredible. Why aren't you still living there? Because it's home. It's always going to be there. But growing up, you had countless options for east or west coast. The Coromandel is a very thin piece of land, so it only takes about 45 minutes travel. And if the wind's pretty horrible on one beach, you can jump over the hill and go to another beach and every one of these beaches is so unique and individual whether it's that white crystal clear sand that you can squeak your toes in or it's burning hot sand that's black from the volcanic activity and it's iron sand and you can't even step on it it's so hot and black (laughs) but the formations and the rock faces and sea cliffs around the area have got cave systems that you can paddle into a sea kayak some of the well-known destinations for tourism like cathedral cove used in feature films and all sorts of things and if you have access to a boat you're then able to 
travel out to the many different islands that are normally um, protected by Department of Conservation. So there's not too much opportunity to get on them, but diving and fishing around them and having them in your backdrop when you are cracking a beer and having a fish in the summer sun is pretty spectacular. It's a mountainous range in behind you on the landscape and it's all formed by volcanic activity and it's just beautiful green hills. There is the odd palm trees planted around as well and you can definitely find a beach for your liking. You know, there's so many beaches that you can just pick seashells up off the shore and or you go to another one and there's not even a single other footprint on it. You know, it's all to yourselves. Chucking a couple of nudist ones too and you're having a great old time. <laughs> Having this access to so many places to explore has just been a phenomenal childhood for me. It's been so fantastic. And I love going back home too and showing other people it as well. Yeah, and lots of close friends and family have come back with me. And we do rekindle our, our love for a day and, and grow on those childhood memories. That's quite cool. Adam, I'd like to ask you now about a moment in your life where you had an experience and you learned a great lesson from that experience. This experience is pretty close to me, and I didn't realize it until I went to university and reflected back on it in sort of like an essay that we were asked to write. And it was kind of asking us, where do your core values and your core beliefs come from, and how does it influence your life now, and that sort of thing. So we were asked to write quite a powerful essay on this at university, and it got me really thinking, and this is about the age of 21 when I was doing this essay, but it was about the age of 14 to 16 that I look back on and I remember when it truly showed me my passion and belief for the outdoors and what it can do to help people and benefit people and that was when my brother got sick he was actually mentally ill and it was quite a tough time for our family of him going through this and he came back home from studies in a city and we just thought it'd be best for him to be looked after by family and he had a real passion and love for the ocean he was studying marine biology and being a young teenager you go through all sorts of things and bloody playing playstation and computer games and that sort of stuff and stuck indoors but i remember my brother was going through a tough time i didn't really know too much about it at that stage but he wanted to teach me his knowledge of the ocean and we had like an aquarium and we would collect specimens and he'd teach me all about it you know seahorses and crayfish and little rock lobsters and rockfish and it was pretty fun i felt like by him coming home and us sharing this love for the ocean and going diving and fishing and our afternoons off and always being out there and amongst it and I think that it has the ability to heal people you know in this sort of unbelievable way and it's not only just the ocean it could be anything that you grew up with in life but if you come back to like your origins and you take away all the craziness in your life your stress and your worries and you can get back into your grassroots areas and you can share it with somebody. You find this new deep love for it. And I saw him get better. It was horrible when he first came back. When I look back on it, you know, he was very depressed and he was going through a really tough time. But when we were enjoying those moments together in the outdoors, whether it be snorkeling or scuba diving, him teaching me how to scuba dive off the shores, night diving, playing with octopuses underwater, or even just fishing off the rocks in an afternoon sunset. It was all helping him to get better, but then also helping me understand why we do it And when I look back on it. And I still like to do that today. When I witness, when I'm guiding, people have these wow moments where it's not me literally telling them to look at that and say well but I just see it naturally in its own well form and they look up at a mountain or they interact with some wildlife in a sea kayak and I can see just that little bit of what I probably had in me when I was with my brother and sharing those moments in the ocean and I just want to keep giving people those moments Say, eh? it's really cool I think you can get a lot out of mother nature in that sense yeah mother nature and outdoor therapy eh it's good stuff You are on the trail less traveled, recorded on location in the Milford Sound, which is on New Zealand's west coast. I am here in the Milford Sound at Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, sitting with Adam Collier. And we just saw a gleam of sunlight come through, which is lovely because it's been raining nonstop for the past month, it seems. 
Adam is from a small seaside town called Fitianga in the Coral Mandel Peninsula on the North Island of New Zealand. He was born and raised in the ocean with salt water running through his veins. He learned to swim before he learned to walk. Adam is here in the Milford Sound guiding on the Tasman Sea and the fjord for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. This said, being so far away from real-world luxuries, he and his friends have decided to brew their own fun. And every year around this time, there is the Wild Foods and Brews Festival, a charity event showcasing a gathering of the community's talents in homebrewing, hunting, and gathering from the sea and from the land. When we come back, we're going to talk to Adam about the creation of this charity event and homebrewing. But, Adam, now it's time to play a song. So can you share a song with us that reminds you of your early childhood adventures? Oh, I'm trying to think of a song, but it's really hard because I've developed my music and it's changed a lot over the years. And if I think back to what I listened to as a kid, it was terrible. <laughs> it's garage music. It's grunge stuff. It's, oh, I don't even want to say it because people will probably try to send me hate mail. <laughs> like Nickelback and Three Doors Down and... Oh, it's horrid. I never would ever want to expose my ears to that stuff again. <laughs> Trying to pick a song for that. It sounds cheesy because I probably the lyrics, if you were listening to it, it wouldn't actually take me back to childhood. It's, but it's more of a love song. Just the three words, Awake My Soul. It's just kind of guess something that I always... It can mean anything, eh? And so it'd be Mumford and Sons, Awake My Soul, which would take me back to my childhood something I listen to afterwards but and I use it here in Milford too <laughs> every time I drive in or something like that yeah hey there Mandela here I just wanted to share with you a phenomenal hike that I did yesterday called Gertridge Saddle which is in Fjordland National Park the hike is known as New Zealand's best day hike and it overlooks the Milford Sound as well as the Tasman Sea one of my favorite things about this hike that I did yesterday was the fact that I was wearing a comfortable and practical skirt handmade by a friend of mine in Missoula, Montana. Her name is Karen, and her designs are called Karuna Clothing. All of her clothing are handmade using organic materials that naturally soften with age. One of the things I love most about this skirt that I have and have been wearing almost daily here in New Zealand is the fact that not only is it stretchy and soft, great for hiking, it also dries fast after you spontaneously decide to dive into an ice-cold glacier melt high alpine lake. You can check out her designs and find a skirt for yourself by visiting karunaclothing.com. That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com. Back to Mandela and the trail less traveled. We are on location in the Milford Sound with Adam Kalea. Adam is from a small seaside town called Fitianga on the Coral Mandel Peninsula on the North Island of New Zealand. Born and raised on the ocean, salt water running through his veins. Adam learned to swim before he learned to walk. Adam is here in the Milford Sound guiding on the Tasman Sea and the fjord for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. This said, being so far away from real-world luxuries, he and his friends have decided to brew their own fun. Every year around this time, there is the Wild Foods and Brews Festival, a charity event showcasing a gathering of the community's talents in homebrewing, hunting, and gathering wild foods from the sea and from the land. Adam, the other day I saw you here in the Avery where we are recording this interview, part of the guide housing for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. It was a ginger beer, an alcoholic ginger beer that I saw you putting together. And that's part of the Wild Foods and Brews Festival. But we're also expecting to see venison from the forest and crayfish and shark from the sea. Let's just go back to the beginning of this event and how it came to be. We are in a very isolated place right now, the Milford Sound. For those listening who cannot imagine how isolated this place might be, maybe you can tell them about the three ways I suppose you can get here. Or four, helicopter, via the sea, through the fjord walking the Milford track and then of course driving the road if there hasn't been a rock fall or anything like that so kind of painting the picture of how isolated this place is and then maybe that's partially why you decided to create this event and brew your own beer 
So Milford is a very popular tourist destination for um, people when they come to visit New Zealand. And it's easy to see why when you just Google the images of Milford Sound. It's, it's unbelievable. But it's still a really long way from civilization because we don't have our own infrastructure here, our own town settlement. Actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, Milford Sound is regarded as a hamlet because it does not have a church. If it's a church, it's a village, but we're not a village. (laughs) We're a hamlet. (laughs) We actually used to have a pub and that would be our place where we'd go and hang out. And it's two hours drive from the nearest town to get to Milford Sound and you travel uh, 120 kilometres through some of the most spectacular scenery in New Zealand from beautiful beach forest to mountains skyrocketing either side of you and deep valleys carved out by glaciers and then down through the rabbit hole you come through the uh, Homer Tunnel one and a half kilometres long and then back down here to sea level surrounded by these monstrous mountains that are just colossal giants either side of us and Milford being in a national park can't have this huge bustling growth of a town and you can build your own thing and have your own residential housing. It's all actually owned and operated by companies in the Department of Conservation. So they lease land, the companies that work here, off Department of Conservation and then they can plonk on uh, some accommodation. And for the community of Milford, there's only about maybe 250 of us that actually work and live here in the summer. And then we have 6,000 visitors a day in the peak season that come through and then drive back on out again or uh, fly out of here back to Queenstown or take a cruise ship out of here. And then we're left with us little peeps at the end of the night and when everybody buggers off. (laughs) And we used to go down to the pub at the end of the night. We'd go and release our stress, I guess, dealing with this many visitors and having face-to-face contact with thousands of people each day and go to a mutual ground which is uh, where you can have a cold beverage and play a game of pool or there'd be some live music which would entertain us and then we'd for one moment forget about our hectic day of dealing with these people face to face. We love it but you definitely sometimes just have days where you're like, whew, glad that day's over, I need a beer. (laughs) And we'd interact as well because we are from so many different companies, there's probably about a dozen different companies in the 250 people that make up this place and it'd be at a place where you wouldn't need an invitation you could just come and hang out and meet and greet new people weird and wonderful people for sure because you have to be to be able to live in a place like this and be so isolated and you don't have any cell phone reception and you don't have access to countless gigabytes of internet so you actually have to make face-to-face contact with people and the friendships and relationships that are growing here in Milford Sound are very long-lasting. They're incredible. I think that's a huge part of it too, is that we aren't connected always through the internet, that we are then made to actually have these social interactions one-on-one and to develop these friendships and relationships. A beer or two has been quite a good catalyst, (laughs) quite good lubricators. And I have definitely experienced some amazing times at that little old pub. But unfortunately, the powers to be shut it down on us. And we have now lost this social hub, which was the pub. And we have then had to, over the last two seasons, carry out social gatherings and events, which we've had always in Milford every year, these traditions. There's a few of them and have them at our accommodation and housing which is provided by the companies and then that gets a bit tricky because we have a few rules and regulations set upon us that kind of define our life by our companies which sucks a little bit and you can't just be yourself when you have the prying eyes of management over you or your colleagues or whatever the pub allowed us just to really have a good time and so we're hoping one day that we might get our own spot. We might get a community centre of sorts. And it is in the cards, so there definitely is a thought process happening and maybe even um, some uh, architectural development happening and put forward and the local council recognises that there is a need for it and the community knows there's a need for it. So we're fundraising towards it and this is probably why the Wild Foods has come to be too for all these reasons and also why it's a charity event because we want to put money towards this happening. All right, so by the time this show airs, the Wild Foods and Bruce Festival is going to be happening and it's going to be a gathering here at Roscoe's Milford Kayaks? 
and you were one of the founding fathers of the Wild Foods and Brews Festival. And it's going to be a charity event showcasing a gathering of the community's talents in home brewing, hunting, and gathering wild foods from the sea and from the land. Adam, tell us about that moment when you and your other forefathers decided to create the Wild Foods and Brews Festival. That moment... Well, as any other moment happens in Milford Sound for an event, it's just a group of mates sitting around a table having a beer or two and wondering when the next event is that we're going to hold and have a good time and socialise, whether it be a birthday function or (laughs) someone leaving, someone arriving, or just a general hoorah. Uh, Well, they are very sporadic. They just pop up out of nowhere. (laughs) It was a group of us that were just... Yeah, having a casual beer, and we said, why don't we make a a party of it? Why don't we showcase the beers that you guys brew? And we thought, damn, this is a great idea. And it did start off with just maybe four or five brewers from around Milford, and we had ales and ginger beers and lagers and stouts and that sort of thing. And then the next year, someone said, that was such a good time. Why don't we go a step further? And, And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we then added the food combination and... Over the last four years, with the beers being developed and the food being caught, it's then just got even bigger than I imagined. We had, at our last event, 150 people come to it from around the community and outside in Tiano and Queenstown, and it was the talk of the year. <laughs> I feel a bit humbled by the people telling me how amazing it was. It's cool because it was just under a marquee, 10 by 5 metres, dozen picnic tables, about four different barbecues, and there was a close to 300 litres of beer brewed in about 40 different flavours and eight different brewers in the last event and it was insane it was so cool it wasn't to the point where everybody was sloshed off their face that they could not stand it was more really honing in the taste buds and trying something new and so the wild foods part of it is a spectacular addition as well where people can try new things there was possum stew wallaby stew from tales of poor little kangaroos <laughs> yeah venison this wild pork there was all sorts of things there i think there was actually pig head pate <laughs> things that people would never try otherwise or buy otherwise from a supermarket or restaurant or shop unless it was just free so there it is it's all brought to you free from the community which is an amazing contribution from everyone and then the brewers as well putting their efforts into the many hours that they spend over a stovetop and a boiling pot stewing away this cauldron <laughs> and then it's just all put forward on one evening or afternoon of music as well and turns into just everybody really being able to enjoy each other's company with a cold beer and tasty delicious meal yeah you were mentioning the food and of course the beer and i want to get back to the beer and how it came to be brewed here in milford sound because it was such an isolated place you decided to brew beer here but let's talk about this breadbasket of wild foods from the land and from the sea right behind you, looking at this lush rainforest and some of the animals that are actually coming from the land, not necessarily getting purchased at a store. Like there's fishermen that are going out there and gathering it. Brewing has been one of my hobbies, but there's a lot of other people in Milford which hunting and gathering is theirs. I definitely like to indulge in a bit of the free diving keeping that love for the ocean, going down and holding your breath and trying to wrangle a crayfish out of a hole and then having that in the barbecue on the end of the uh, night. But some of the other people in Milford, their skills just are incredible when it comes to hunting the deer in the forest. Being a national park, you are actually still allowed to hunt for deer because it is considered a pest. But the best thing about this pest is most so delicious, incredible lean meat. These things have to trek through some unbelievable territories, so they are just pristine animals in every way and so much better than being from a farm. The, it's all community locals that go out and get the stuff. They not only have to go and search for the forest for hours on end for it and stalking their prey, but then they have to carry it back those many kilometres that they've walked to find it and shoot it and then the prep as well is hanging it and gutting it and cleaning it and then cutting it down to the different sections and then we cook it so it's an unbelievable effort it's incredible the things that they do to help me out with this event and they do it for themselves just like having to fill their freezers for the winter coming winter too and the fishing and diving aspect as well that's great people going out there and getting wet but I think we all do it not just for the sake of having something to eat but actually we love doing it and going out there and getting amongst it yeah it's been pretty spectacular to have the people show off their skills in this way 
and I've seen it all firsthand. It's been fantastic. From this area, you could collect tar and chamois, which are types of goats that are up on the tops of the mountains, and elks. We then have a few types of different deer, and then from the land areas, caught also possum from the forests and pigs. I'm trying to think of other things. Sometimes we collect the native forests and plants and bushes ourselves that come in and you can use them in salads and spices and herbs, which is pretty cool. And then from the sea, it's unbelievable. Groper, tuna, cod, crayfish, sea cucumber, sea urchins or kinna, we call them, uh, pawa, also known as uh, abalone. It's unreal. And it's still, even though a lot of people don't think seafood's wild, it is. It's about as wild as you can get. <laughs> yeah, can't tame the ocean, that's for sure. We bring it all together and a lot of it is cooked on the barbecue. And then those aromas of the smell of a barbecue in the air when you're sitting down and having a beer in the afternoon, we love it. There's nothing better, eh? Cook fresh right in front of your eyes. It's pretty spectacular. That's one of the classic Kiwi ways to cook things is a, a barbecue on a hot summer's sunny day. Not always hot and sunny in Milford though. <laughs> so we just take the weather as it comes. Yeah, and it's just like a Kiwi cultural thing. Yeah, we've stole it from someone else in the world, but we've definitely honed it into making something very unique and individual for ourselves in this beautiful land. Yeah. Now, Adam, you just mentioned a lot of mammals, and some people listening might be like, wow, New Zealand, so many mammals there, which is the case now, maybe, but can you tell them a little bit about the amount of mammals that were here before humans came? Two come to mind. Yep, there is only two, and this one puts people off a little bit. They're like, really? That's it? And there's two types, or bat, short tail and long tail bat. Before that, it was all birds and lizards and insects that ruled this land. We had no native mammals whatsoever on this land. And so everything that we have today that is four-legged and gives birth to live young on our land is actually a pest. And I could list just a few for you. It's hard to talk about it because it's kind of a devastating effect to our environment and our lands. Because when you think of even the farmed animals like cows and sheep and pigs and that sort of thing to have them here we've actually had to destroy forests to create the farmlands to grow and feed ourselves but in doing that it's taken a bit of a toll on our bird life and the ecology and the balance it's upset it a little bit but we are aware of it and we do realize what we've done wrong in the past but it's looking bright future for i think new zealand birds yeah slowly but surely the ecology is balancing out new zealand has two native mammals that you talked about the short tail and the long tail bat but before that maori used to hunt birds the kedadu or the wood pigeon and how it's very tasty but it's incredibly difficult to catch except for the one time a year that the wood pigeon eats the fermented berries from the tree fuchsia can you tell us a little bit about that that's actually quite a funny story because I've always thought about a name for my beer, you know, just for jokes. Or who knows, one day maybe it'll develop into something and get it to a credible bird. They're no longer allowed to be killed and eaten for food because they are a native animal in New Zealand, a native bird, and it's uh, very illegal. But before that, they became protected. Maori people did used to hunt them. They're quite a dopey bird. <laughs> they are very large, about three, four times the size of a city pigeon that you might find commonly around the world. But they have these spectacular colours. All right, they have a beautiful white chest that just protrudes out and it's very voluptuous. And then they have these spectacular green wings and green head. But the colouring in the green is it translucent? Is that the word you use for when they're kind of oily? <laughs> and when you get close enough and you get a bit of sun shining on them, it's just the colours of the rainbow and the green. It's it's quite spectacular you have to see it for yourself or just google it <laughs> they would feed on this type of tree called the tree fuchsia and the berries at this particular time of year that grow on this tree would be absolutely amazing for the bird to come and eat they think it was just absolutely delicious and they would indulge to the point where they'd keep feeding on these berries probably even to the point where the berries then become almost a little bit fermented and the birds will keep consuming and then the birds themselves would become intoxicated and a little bit drunk. <laughs> and for the Māori people, they found this fascinating and actually 
quite exciting because this would be the time for them to come and hunt the bird at the easiest time of year. <laughs> they would just fall from the trees and probably just gather them up that way. But yeah, throwing spears at them became quite easy because <laughs> the bird wouldn't fly away at all. It'd be inebriated and easily caught. And we actually have a waterfall here in Milford Sound called Tipoho o Tikiriru, which translated to English as the breast of the wood pigeon. In its English name, it's actually called Lady Elizabeth Bowen Falls. Very important waterfall to us here at Milford Sound. It provides us with our town water supply and power supply. And when it came to naming my beer, I have thought about that waterfall because it is the source of our water, which is the, is the most important ingredient when it comes to brewing. You have to have a clean, beautiful water source. And that one comes from a glacial fed up in the hanging valley that comes down into Milford Sound and it's one of the first things you see when you come to this place and go out in your cruise boat or your kayak tour and it's untreated it has no chemicals added to it which is pretty amazing when you compare that to the rest of the world even in New Zealand in some towns and cities you definitely can't have drinkable water without it being treated and so we're lucky here that we have such a delicious water and it's possibly really good for you and so putting it into a beer must be good for you too eh <laughs> and I then thought about that story of the wood pigeon I just told you and this water supply that we get from the Kedadu and I've always thought about naming the beer the drunken Kedadu and that might not go down too well for liquor licensing you know inciting drinking and that sort of stuff so then we've come up with something a little bit better and that's the mother's milk or the because it's kind of I guess water coming from the breast coming from the wood pigeon all right yeah kiddo's cream or something like that <laughs> we're still toying with it a little bit yeah but it's funny how mother nature and things we do here all intertwine in some way or another it's quite funny how you can find ties back into its origins and and what you do and i really like the idea of that <laughs> it's quite cool We are on the trail less traveled, which today leads to the Milford Sound. The Milford Sound is an isolated, dramatic landscape that is located on New Zealand's South Island's west coast in Fjordland. This is a World Heritage Site, and Adam is a brewer, a skipper, and a guide here on the Tasman Sea and the Fjord. Adam is one of the forefathers of the Wild Foods and Brews Festival which is a charity event showcasing a gathering of the community's talents in homebrewing, hunting, and gathering wild foods from the sea and from the land. Adam, it's time for another song, so perhaps you can share a song with us that reminds you of this gathering of hunters, gatherers, and brewers called the Wild Foods and Brews Festival. This song, uh, Wild Foods and Brews and Hunting and Gathering, and uh, (laughs) even though we don't get a lot of summer sun here in Milford Sound, because it is, as you said, one of the wettest places in New Zealand, we still like to play music that reminds us of the sun and keeps us happy inside and warm inside anyway, so this next one would be, yeah, perfect for it. Kiwi music has a reggae feel, all right, we've taken reggae and we kind of made it our own. When you think of classic Kiwi tunes, especially modern age ones, and one of the pioneers of that style of music it's kind of reggae and dub and drum and bass that sort of thing is a band called Simonella Dub and they have a tune called Love Your Ways which yeah definitely gets me going every time and makes me think about the summer times and the good times yeah It's The Trail Has Travelled with Mandela recording on location here in the Avery which is part of Roscoe's Milford Kayaks Guide Housing and you know how about well this there's some sand flies that I'm sure Adam's going to tell you about I was going to say let's go outside for this next segment but we're kind of protected in here from the sand flies so Adam I'm just going to ask you to maybe look behind you and and tell the listeners what you see and then tell us about this place Uh, you're a guide so you can get your guide voice on and take the listeners to the Milford Sound well, turn around and I'll look up. Whoa, some blue skies. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I'm about to go to work and I hope to find some sun shining somewhere in the fjord. But I'm looking up the Arthur Valley right now and we have an incredible view uh, coming from right here in my home and the paddle on in, in the Avery. 
here is actually a little sheltered spot where we got sandfly mesh protecting us but still a flow of the air coming through it's like still it feels like you're outside but all you got to do is look out the window and it's right there and there's just mountains rising straight up out of the ocean and we have spectacular rainforests with this cloud cover that's just kind of hugging it it's just grasping the landscape like it just loves it so much and the clouds do really love this place we do get some spectacular displays but we got blue sky backdrop coming through. We got what we like to recall as the southwest wind change, where Milford's unveiling happens. We got the slow Milford strip tease. It's been pouring down rain all this morning for about four or five hours, and man, it must have been about a hundred millimeters in the last year, four or five hours. And so waterfalls everywhere, thousands of them everywhere you can see, especially if you were to look out the back to the shear downs, and. The sun coming out, I'm going to be going on a bit of a rainbow hunt to see if I can find myself a rainbow and catch one of those puppies with my eyes. Because <laughs> they're spectacular. So we do get sunshine here in Milford Sound. We do get rain. But no matter what the weather, it's, it's fantastic. I've got to go to work. Someone's calling me up and I'm going to go on a boat ride. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. <laughs> So we're back recording here with Adam, and it's been a few days. Last time we spoke with him, he was running out the door to go and be a skipper, and he just got back from picking up some runners from the Milford track. Now it's raining, which is pretty typical for the Milford Sound, and I'm going to ask Adam now about this place, the Milford Sound, which is in Fjordland National Park. This is a place that he has called home, and has been working in for the past five years. Milford Sound. Where do you start? It's quite hard to describe because it's a different scale of beauty. You know, people ask me, like, what's the most beautiful part of New Zealand? And you find it a very difficult question to answer because one the way you're going to be pretty biased in regards to where you live, where you're brought up, you know, and where you do... F- have all these different adventures and activities that you get up to and I'm always going to say home you know but living and working here for the last uh, well over five years now six summers two winters I've seen unbelievable amounts of beauty Milford's beauty is it's a dramatic beauty okay so I have come from a place of beaches and sunshine and I'm now substituted for mountains and rain and I think you can't compare the two because they are just different types of beauty but it is just absolutely spectacular just mother nature here has a way of wowing you time and time again no matter how long you have been here I know of people living in Milford Sound that have been here for over 15 years on and off and I stand next to them when a storm rolls in and we just look up to the mountains and we just see these plumes just coming off the tops almost like they're erupting volcanoes and we just look at each other and we're just like wow wind gust comes in rain comes in and it's phenomenal it's just it's outstanding and you find it really hard to describe that to people and it makes so much more sense that they just come down and experience it for themselves for a long time my parents had never ever been here before and my family had never been here before. I think it was after my first season. Yeah, my first season, my sister was the first family member to come visit and witness Milford Sound truly. And she stayed for like two weeks. It was really great. Instead of just describing it to them on the phone, they were able to meet the people and meet the place because it is essentially meeting Milford Sound, you know, getting to know it and its personalities and her beauty and just really getting an in-depth look into what she is because it is a bit of a beast. She is a beast, isn't she? And she just absolutely loved it. And she just fitted in so well, my little sister, when she came to visit. It was just magical to share it with a family member, a person so close to. My little sister's like one of my best friends. And it was cool for her to go back home and tell all my other family and other friends that had never been here and just be like, this is why he's here. This is why we never actually get to hear from him anymore because he is into this wilderness that uh, is like no other. You know, the reason why I don't contact them on cell phones and and internet and uh, Facebook and that sort of stuff is because I get sick of trying to describe to them in in words typing away on my little fingers because my fingers are too fat for the keyboard so I don't do it very well. I always hit two keys at once. But um, I just want to show them the beauty. I just want them to be here. 
And it was really cool time. I think one of the most magical times in Milford Sound was on my 25th birthday. I had a wee little bit of a surprise. My family had organised over the, the month before my birthday to actually surprise me and all be here at once. And I've got quite a big family. There's five kids in it, all to the same parents. And four boys, one girl. I'm the youngest boy. <laughs> they all managed to get here without me knowing absolutely anything about the surprise and be on my doorstep here at the Paddle Iron Inn after I came back from a bit of an adventure with some friends for a birthday trip. The emotion, I never felt anything like that before, where finally, rather than describing it, they could be there with me and live it and see it, the beauty of this place. My mum and dad were standing on the porch of the Paddle Iron Inn where I have had experienced quite a few sessions of beer drinking and, well eye-gorgling moments and the beauty of it and I couldn't grasp it them being here it was so cool and I hugged them and the emotion was overwhelming and then I got tapped on the shoulder by my brother and I was like yeah he's here too and my sister was already here one of my other brothers as well he tapped me and the emotional overload just dropped me to my knees I couldn't stand and I cried like a little girl with everybody watching <laughs> it was so cool I've always talked about that moment and now that they've been here that was three years ago now. I no longer have to describe it. They just know and they understand why. I can't just leave this place, get up and go. It's always going to keep attracting me and me coming back to it. And so Milford's like another home now for that reason. Uh, the tiny community that it has and, and the beauty that it has. So I'm torn between two homes. But I love them both very much. Yeah. Let's go ahead and step outside. We'll risk the sand flies. And uh, hopefully you guys listening can get a little bit of the audio of the rain as it falls. Yeah, you can see the fjord pretty well, but I'm going to just ask Adam to describe to you guys how this was formed geologically. Well, Milford Sound is not actually a true sound. If you were to come here and look at all the signage as you're driving towards it, you're actually being told a lie. <laughs> New Zealand is actually screwed up when they named it. It's actually a fjord. And the difference being is a, a fjord is actually U-shaped valleys which are carved out by glaciers and a sound is V-shaped valleys which are carved out by rivers. And then both of these areas are actually flooded in by water by the ocean, by the sea, and that makes them a sound or a fjord. It's the body of water that fills it up that makes them both those things, but it's the way that they're actually geologically shaped and carved out by Mother Nature's forces which actually describes them and gives them a definition of a fjord and a sound. Sound does sound way better, <laughs> but we did screw up. It's actually a fjord. And same with the others that are down on the west coast of here. There's actually 14 in total in the national park. And it took me a good two, three years to really be looking at the shapes and the angles and the silhouettes and the valleys that surround me and the mountains and the ridgelines. I just kind of clicked and I could then visualize the grandeur, I guess the colossalness of ice carving this place out before I arrived, you know. So that's, of course, 14,000 years ago. Well, it actually happened over 2 million years. And there was five glacial carvings, five glacial periods that form this beautiful place. Sandflies aren't actually too bad. <laughs> Maybe they got washed away with the rain the other day. And when you kind of paint that picture in your head of what was here before to create this natural beauty, it's when you finally go, wow. <laughs> it would have been just these frozen rivers, thousands of meters wide and a thousand meters thick and oh man 50 kilometers long this big frozen river just carving out this beautiful place these mountains are big and not only are they big but they're strong it's granite rock it's hard metamorphic rock gabbro diorite iron ore copper quartz crystal and this stuff doesn't grind away easily mother nature's forces now acting on the fjord have had little to shape it or change it it was actually ice and the glaciers carving through you know 14,000 years ago that have left their mark on it and now that it's all gone away it has now been coated in this spectacular green and the green here of the forest and mother nature just carpeting over all of these mountains is like nothing i've ever seen before there is no brown. <laughs> Everything is green from trees, leaves to the moss that shroud and cover its trunks over the branches, the molds, everything. It's fascinating. It's, 
it is a rainforest. This is why it rains so much, you know. They call it a rainforest. And it's so vast. It's so huge. Just Milford itself is like one of the only ones that are accessible to us by public road driving here. The other 13 fjords, they're very difficult to get to. They're very, very hard. To access them, you have to have either a really expensive helicopter or be friends with some fishermen and have a couple of weeks up your sleeve to be able to go down to get them. (laughs) And they're untamed landscapes. Humans will never be able to say that they've conquered them. No way. Not even when you stop on the highest peak in this national park. You'll never conquer it. You've always got to have a respect for it. The weather is truly the beast that runs this place. Yeah, I found huge respect in the environment when working and living here. From kayaking out in the fjord to being slammed by these epic storms that pass through in literally minutes. Or driving the boat and three, four meter swells out on the Tasman Sea. I do never ever want to risk injuring anyone or myself. I always just want to respect this place in the sense that it was here before me. So uh, I need to let people know how important it is to us now. And I find that this work that I'm doing is probably the best way to go about doing it. It's huge. It's, it's, it's amazing. 1.2 million hectares, the national park. Bigger than the country of Wales. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. You are on the trail less traveled, and we're recording the show in Fjordland National Park. Right now we're standing on the front deck of the Padalon Inn, which is the guide housing for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. Adam, you said the word weather and respect, and I just thought it would be nice since in the beginning of this interview, we were recording before the Wild Foods and Brews Fest happened, and now that it's done, maybe you could share the adventure of preparing for the festival, digging trenches in the rain, over a foot of rain we got that day, how high the river came up, and the festival itself and how it went. Where do I begin? (laughs) I love running these events. I love giving the people the opportunity to do something out of the ordinary in this beautiful little community. But I've got to hone in a few skills. Organizational skills is probably the first one. (laughs) Never, ever prepared. And I think, heck, trying to plan this sort of thing, you can't get too in-depth into it in terms of writing down what you exactly need to do at exactly what time because you just got to let things flow. The day before now finally had some recovery yesterday was definitely the deconstruction that was pretty hard out too but the day before preparing to set up two marquees one was six by 12 meters the other one was five by 10 meters in absolute torrential pour down with lightning and thunder and even a little bit of wind too to give us a bit of a push was unreal it was like the wettest day we've probably had this entire summer it was 260 millimeters of rain in probably 24 hour period from setting up the frame of the marquee the day before in blue sky sunshine to looking up at the clouds and seeing this epic storm roll in the formations were phenomenal we knew that there was some energy brewing up there and it was just gonna dump on us and so the next day when i woke up in the morning at about 6 30 going this is d-day this is the day we're going to set up this a beautiful event the wild food and bruce fest in milford sound i knew i was in for a good time but i knew i had so many people that were going to help me out there was incredible just the passion that people had just feeding off me i guess and feeding back to me it was just this energy was just like no matter what the weather we're going to make it happen it was really cool one of the sunny days beforehand we were like okay we can go for plan b put it in a garage you know and get away from the weather that way using a man-made structure that's permanently built and we went bugger that that's not the milford way let's do it properly let's set up some serious topology there was some ingenuity from all kinds of different nationalities you know working together that day yeah a lot of good kiwi ingenuity too and people came up with the just most brilliant ideas to just solve the most complex problems that we had from these trenches were forming just these streams running into rivers literally on our car park and the rain trying to send it away from plonking down on people's heads we've set up these water stations which are just literally taps constantly flowing from the roofs of these tents and marquees to having an area to be able to go pee and not worry about the smell sticking around and because it'll just be flushed away with this torrential rain (laughs) i really liked it the weather here 
when it bombs, it's truly amazing. And I think the energy from the air, you know, the atmosphere and what's happening up in that weather just is absorbed by people in Milford too. And they get crazy. They get wild. And that night was insane. Yeah, not only the food were wild, but the people too. It was loose. The music was just insane. The beer was flowing. The good spirits were flowing. The food was great. It was hot. And people just got amongst it. We must have had over 150 people come to this this area. Yeah. Over 200 tickets sold, and I can't describe it again. It's one of those things you got to have to see for yourself. So come on down to Milford Sound, come enjoy the Wild Food and Brews Fest. Awesome. The Wild Foods and Brews Fest happens around the end of January, beginning of February every year, and the beer is brewed locally. Adam here made a bunch of beer and ginger beer and the water that he uses to make that beer comes from Lady Elizabeth Bowen Falls which is a 163 meter waterfall. It's one of only two permanent waterfalls here in the fjord and it's some of the best water in the world so it made some of the best beer in the world. For example that night I had mainly ginger beer and shark and helping behind the bar and just having a good old time. What was your favorite dish that you had that night? Can you tell us a couple of the highlights for the wild foods? It was incredible because I'd actually months in advance asked a lot of the hunter-gatherers in Milford Sound to help me out with this event and go trial and test their skills in the forest and collect us as much as they can. And the weather leading up to this event was horrendous. You can't really hunt in the rain. It's not really good. It's quite hard to find the animals. And then, of course, the weather that brings the rain is also disrupting the sea, so we can't even get to the sea either. The oceans are too high. So we were lacking, but we pulled through. And we did manage, literally two days before the event, to get ourselves a wild boar, which is great. The pig came in, and that was just all carved up by somebody. I never got to try that because I was too busy serving beer. But I did manage to get my mouth around some delicious liver pate made from wild venison so that was a new experience for me wild liver pate i think that one it was a sensational overload on your tongue just unbelievable and then you complement that with a darker ale or uh, one of our beers that we had it was awesome and you know you had the shark i did too i'm not funny enough being from the seaside environment and all the fishing and diving that I do. Ironically, I don't actually eat a lot of seafood. (laughs) But the shark that was served up was incredible. It was amazing. It was so delicious, so moist, and they definitely even made to make that better nice and crispy too. So I really enjoyed that as well. Favorite beer of the night for me actually as well, another one of those. It had to be the Spruce Beer, which is brewed by a local company here in New Zealand, Wigram Brewing, and they replicate a special recipe which was New Zealand's first ever beer created here in Fiordland National Park, down in Dusky Sound in, in 1773. They named it spruce from one of our beautiful native trees, the Rimu tree, which they regard as a type of spruce, but in its own, it's, it's definitely its own individual tree in New Zealand. It's one of our tallest here in our forest, growing nearly 40, 50 metres tall, over two, three, four hundred years old, and they cut the leaves off it. Look very similar to like a willow, actually, the way they droop down, but kind of spiky and sharp. And so they took that and they used it as hops, as well as using manuka, which is also known as tea tree, used in a lot of honeys and stuff that you can find in New Zealand. Manuka honey, really good, get your mouth around that too. And they brewed this beer, and it was the first one ever produced in New Zealand. And there's a few companies in New Zealand that replicate it today, and it's amazing it's like tasting mother nature the smell is incredible too you can actually literally smell the tree when you take that first gulp it's amazing so that complemented a lot of the seafood that we had on the night too i really like that i think everybody enjoyed that one too as much as i did sitting on the couch near you is a badass dude named ben we're going to go ahead and put him on the spot here ask him what his favorite wild foods that evening was and perhaps his favorite beer can't say I was one of the forefathers, but I've been coming here for a while and enjoying events like this. But my favourite, I think, would be the blue cod that I got served. And my favourite beer, I think, would have been one of the ciders, actually. Adam, thank you so much for giving me your energy and your time to join me here on the trail less travelled to record this interview. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. It's a fantastic opportunity to spread the word about this beautiful little place, and thank you for interviewing me. Adam, let's end this show with three bits of advice that you would like to share with the listener. 
I don't have any inspirational quotes or anything like that. Life is making uh, life. How do I do this? It's gonna be funny when I'm trying to tell this to my kids or something like that, giving them some advice. All I can say is that I've never had a, a religion or anything that I believed in, but I do still have beliefs and values. And I think some of the core foundations for me were my family that gave me those values and those beliefs. And it's literally just being good to one another, right? Just be good with the people around you. Don't spend your time and energy on hating somebody. And so if you don't like someone, just don't hang around them. <laughs> Go hang out with people you love. Feed off their energy. Yeah, look, if you can't change them, too bad. That's their problem. They can, they can deal with that one on their own terms. You know, keep surrounding yourself with good people good times good food good beer keep living life to the way you want it yeah not to someone else's expectations and i think that's the only way you're going to really be happy put yourself as number one <laughs> awesome adam let's end this show with a song so i've got two questions actually for you what song would you like to end the show with and before you share that song with us what are you looking at right now as you look out over the fjord I'm looking at quite an eerie view of Milford's landscape. The clouds have come in. We only probably got about two, three hours of sunshine this morning. And now she's coming back in with just silhouettes of ridgelines of mountaintops. I can almost make out the peak of Mida Peak. It's grey, but it's still spectacular. It's still beautiful. And my last and final song has always been one I've truly loved. I've got a real passion for music. There's moments in life where any song I reckon could complement it. I know there's time for silence, but I reckon there is a song for every moment. There's a song for every moment. And there's one artist that stands out to me, and he has such a true passion for it. His name is John Butler, and he's formed the band John Butler Trio, originating from Perth, Australia, and he's become quite a huge musical sensation. He incorporates a lot of his history and culture. He is an incredible guitarist. His, his acoustic melodies are, are insane. He started off as busking on the streets of Perth. I went and seen him twice live now. There's a song called Ocean, which is just an instrumental of him playing his guitar, and it's quite a long one, okay, but... He says that music's a great way to integrate with people, you know, and traveling around to countries that he doesn't even speak the language. And he, he says that music without words is probably the best form of communication, the best way to interact. It's just with your ears. It's not with your mouth, you know. It's just listening with your ears. And the song Ocean, he also says to us that it's never going to be complete. He never plays it the same every time he plays it live. I've heard it twice live. And it, again, it's different. It either goes longer or shorter or he goes more in depth into some of the riffs and some of the uh, solo parts that he has. I think that one probably is a good way of relating to life, that it, life's never finished. Okay, the song can never finish until he actually finally comes to the end, the inevitable part of life, which is death. And so just keep going, just keep changing it, keep keep making it what it is. And that song really like, yeah, I use it for everything. That one really gets me tingling every time. Kia ora, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to documenting humanity by collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. Subscribe to the Trail Less Traveled podcast on iTunes and check out traillesstraveled.net to follow the show as is recorded on location around the world. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Adam Kolia. Adam is from a small seaside town called Fitianga on the Coral Mandel Peninsula on the North Island of New Zealand. Born and raised on the ocean, salt water running through his veins. Adam learned to swim before he learned to walk. Adam is here in the Milford Sound guiding on the Tasman Sea and the Fjord for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. This said, being so far away from real-world luxuries, he and his friends have decided to brew their own fun. Every year around this time, there is the Wild Foods and Brews Festival, a charity event showcasing a gathering of the community's talents in homebrewing, hunting and gathering wild foods from the sea and from the land. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. 
The trail less traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world, in order for me to find these adventurers and talk to them in their natural habitat. Tonight's interview was recorded in Fjordland National Park. The Mori call this place Atafenoa, which means the land of shadows. We are in Pio Pio Tahe, or the Milford Sound, and the closest town is 123 kilometers away, which most certainly makes the integrity of an adventure show shine, when it is quite an adventure for me to get these interviews sent to you guys via the internet, which is non-existent when it rains. And this place rains over 250 days a year. We got more rain here than the Amazon rainforest, about seven meters on average per year, which is the height of a two-story 